So everybody, we are listening to the delightful Kat Armas, a Cuban-American writer and speaker and host uh, of the Protagonistas podcast, and specifically the author of Abuelita Faith, What Women on the Margins Teaches About Wisdom, Persistence, and Strength. Now, just now, you used uh, multiple times the, the word resistance. So I, I would like to ask you, Kat, is there something that you have discovered, something that you've come across to help us, uh, to help empower us to that place of bold resistance, of, of, of being free from an obligation to um, a system of domination? I'm thinking of a quote by the, um, the late Stephen Biko, the South African uh, resistor. And mm-hmm. uh, he said, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Mm. Uh, it, uh, what have you found to awaken us? Yeah, yeah, that's that's so good. So one of my favorite post-colonial thinkers, um, his name is Walter Mignolo, and he says that, well, I'm sorry, he he's in conversation with um, De Sousa Santos, and he says that in order to see social justice in our world, we need to, you know, we, we need to focus, we need to see, we need to pay attention to cognitive justice. And I love this idea. And I bring this up because of this quote that you read, the mind of the oppressor. And I think that in order to decolonize or in order to um, divest from colonial ways of being and knowing, I think we need to allow ourselves to understand and be uh, awakened to other ways of being and knowing in the world. And by that, I just mean that there are other ways of uh, that people across time and across history have made meaning of their existence, right? Um, we see this in, you know, indigenous spaces. We see this in um, spaces uh, and colonized spaces of how knowing comes up in so many different ways. How do people know? And in Abuelita Faith, I ask, you know, what is wisdom? Who is wise? Who gets to say who is wise? Who gets to say what wisdom is, right? And we've been told in white evangelicalism and just in the Western world, you know, who to look for for wisdom, who has, you know, it's those with the degrees and the in the pulpits and the suits and, you know, the white men who um, who tell us, you know, who is wise and what wisdom is. And so I think that in order to establish cognitive justice, in order to, you know, sort of see a way forward in this, these decolonizing efforts, we need to, what are the other ways that people across the globe are be and know, right? Um, and so that's why in Abuelita Faith, I, I talk about all of these bodily ways of being and knowing how, um, you know, folks across the globe um, have understood themselves and their faith and their community in ways um, that don't just have to do, I mean, that have to do with the mind, of course, because, you know, it's, but, it, but the whole body, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that it, it involves really just a bodily knowing and leading into um, all the different ways that, that, that we can understand God, all the different ways that we can experience the divine, all the different ways that we can experience liberation um, through the divine. And I think that that involves using our bodies and that involves using our whole selves, um, my body, spirit. Let me ask if you have a vision 
particularly for for Cuban Americans. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, um, I I wrote a book uh, about five years ago. Don't want to get into that, except I have a subtitle, a sub uh, in one of my chapters. Uh, it is Justo Gonzalez saved my academic mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was studying like you in this, you right. know, this, uh, this ecosystem of whiteness, uh, right. trying to find, trying to find that new Jesus we're talking about. Right. And I, I found his books, his history books, really. And yeah, so good. <laughs> even though in some ways he, he, he recited the same history that I was reading in, in my assigned books and right. recommended books. His voice just gave them gave it more authority right. and was more penetrating. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. I Justo Gonzalez. He's like he's like my my little abuelito. He he's Cuban, you know, American. I mean, well, he's Cuban too. So yeah, uh, I totally know what you mean. Um, so your question is a vision for it, a Cuban, Cuban uh-huh. Americans and perhaps even yeah. Cubans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, a, a difficult and interesting question to answer only because I think the history of Cuban peoples and Cuban-Americans peoples is so complicated uh, here in the U.S. I think what was so difficult for me to write this book is just how much Cuban-Americans um, who are tied to the revolution, um, older generations, um, I mean, they really look to empire as a source of salvation, right? They, when they arrived to the States, many of them were welcomed the way that Haitians and Jamaicans and other, you know, Caribbean folks were not. And they, you know, because of the unique time in history, you know, the Cold War and the fear of communism, it was the perfect, you know, they were the perfect, um, people to use and to the perfect people to indoctrinate indoctrinate and the perfect people you know in, in here in the states and so um i i really do believe that many cuban americans were just you know propaganda was sold to them and they believed it and they still are die i mean many are die hard you know republicans and because of what they went through and the tr- you know the trauma many of them not all of them but many of them experienced um, and so I think in Awalita Faith, I'm trying to kind of, I mean, kind of, how do I say this? It's, it, you know, that complicated reality and, and, and look at it in a way of like, you know, there's trauma, but there's also um, privilege and there's, it's just very, you know, and, and it's especially a place like Miami where many Cubans were able to establish themselves and create this sort of utopia, you know, um, their own utopia. And in that there is anti-Blackness and in that there is, you know, just so many things um, that is just so complicated to unravel because, again, as I said earlier, you know, empire is all about the farce, the image that it creates. And the, and so they buy into this idea of whiteness, um, but they leave their little haven of Miami and they are they are nobodies, right? They they're, they're, they are treated just as they are, you know, just as every other Latino person would be treated in the world and so, or in the rest of the, this, the country. And so I think when it comes to a vision for Cuban or for Cuban Americans, I want to see Cuban Americans really step into this vision of liberation. Because I think, you know, if you read the Bible, so much of scripture is God telling Israel 
don't be like your oppressors. I have liberated you so that you do not become like the oppressor. And I think that that is a lot of, a lot of the times that is what happens. I mean, we see this over and over and over again, you know, the oppressed become the oppressor when they are given, you know, because of empire, because empire is a farce and it believes that you must do this in order to be liberated or in order to be free or in order to, you know, so anyway, I say all that to say that I, I see, and I see a lot in a lot of the younger generation of Cuban Americans, you know, I, I, there's hope. In, I want to see the Cuban peoples liberated, both on the island and here, right? I want to see them liberated, um, mind, body, spirit. You know, it's uh, it's true for, as you just pointed out, for younger Cuban Americans and of other people groups, it's the the younger people who um, who who see things that their forebears didn't see. But at the same time, there is a and economic dependence on the older generation. And so it can yeah. be very costly uh, for people of any uh, ethnicity yeah. to follow their conscience. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think it, it, it is difficult. And I think from my, from the way that I understand it and the way I see it in my community, um, there is a dependence. And I think there is, at the same time, there's just a lot of trauma, you know, involved in in the realities of different generations. I mean, carry their own different forms of trauma. And I think that particularly for the Cubans, um, you know, was a lot of economic trauma. I mean, they went, many of them, even if they were not rich, my family was not rich. I mean, my abuelo came on a raft. You know, he was one mm. of the balseros that escaped Cuba and, you know, came on a raft. And so, you know, my family wasn't among the wealthy in Cuba who left. Um, they were around, they were in the second wave that left in, and he came first and then brought my family over. Um, but there is a lot of economic trauma, you know, and just what was happening and, you know, going from just being a person living in the world to all of a sudden, you know, all this political unrest, and feeling like you need to escape and leave and, you know, find some sort of respite. Um, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna come. And then, like I said, it was the perfect time in history with the, the, you know, just the, it was all the propaganda, whatever. And, and all of a sudden you're going to see empire as a form of, of salvation. And, and I think that that's what happened, you know, and I want to faith. I write, you know, this is what empire does. It puts people in vulnerable positions and then convinces them that only empire can save it from, save them from their vulnerability. So and let I me think ask, that that's, yes. Yeah. Do you do you feel that that played into your decision to, uh, at least during that season in your life, drift away from your uh, Roman Catholicism and, and, and move towards the white evangelical church? Yeah, that, well, I that think, empire saves. I mean, perhaps you know it was in my consciousness without you know really thinking about it. Um, consciously right it was just it was there but i think for me it was just thinking of it in a spiritual sense um i think you know looking to looking for belonging and looking for you know where i felt uh in my specific context you know the, again the younger generation i'm a, i'm i'm you know, I I was speaking. I wasn't speaking Spanish as my primary language when I was when I got to college. When I got to, you know, what I'm saying, and I'm in, stuck in this. And I think it happens a lot with children of immigrants. You know, you find yourself sort of in between these two worlds. And I think that that was 
you know, I was maybe finding myself in that place in between these two worlds um, as someone who is Westernized and American, but also someone who's lived experience. It also belongs, you know, in another place. I talk about in Awalita Faith how um, Cuba lives within me. And this is something where I've never lived on the island, but the island lives in me. Mm. And so I'm living this sort of um, in between, you know, and and again, I do talk about it in Awalita Faith of how, you know, many of us um, who come from sort of these in between places, uh, we feel like there's a sort of shame that the dominant culture might put on us to to, you know, be someone of one place, right? We're shamed into feeling like we don't belong here or we don't belong there. And so therefore that's a, a, a place of, of shame. But what I argue in Awalita Faith is like, well, what if this third place, what if this in-betweenness is sort of where we most engage with the divine? What if that is our sort of our spiritual superpower, right? Um, that we are from here and from there. There's a Spanish saying that says, you know, I'm not I'm not from here nor from there. That's that's actually my byline on my social media. Yeah, Yeah. right. It's it's a very, you know, because many of us feel that way, right? Um, and I and I would that faith I argue, well, what if I'm from the Aki and from the Aya? Like what if being from here and from there is my my like I said, my superpower? What if that is where and yeah, and I think that that, but the dominant culture has so shamed us to think that no, we need to be from here or from there, or we don't, you know, we don't have like we we're pulled in two directions. Yeah. But I, you know, I I think that no, I I want to reclaim that, and I want to reclaim this. Like no, we are both from here and from there, and that is beautiful, and that is sacred, and that is divine. And so, anyways, to answer your question, I think I was feeling that pull, you know, between these two worlds, and. You know, it was. It's been in in my journey of decolonizing and deconstructing and all the things. I think I've began to reclaim that, and so now, you know, I still hold on to some of the the things that I, I in my Protestantism. You know, uh, I love the Bible, for example. You know, that's something that is huge in, in you know Protestant faith. Um, but I also love the sacraments, and I love you know my altar, and I love the saints, and I and so I'm finding myself in this in between space. I'm finding you know, my spirituality there and I'm finding my identity there and I'm finding my full self in this in-between space. And I think, you know, I'm currently writing a paper right now on the the widow who gives all of her money to the temple and how she is like this othered hybrid person, this third space person. And, you know, empire might marginalize her and suppress her in that third space. But I'm saying, well, what if in that third space is where she where, you know, her subversive, where her actions can be subversive, like her putting all her money into the temple treasury. What if that's a middle finger to the system, right? Like what if her putting her all her money in there because she has to turn around and she takes from the temple fund because the temple has a widow's fund. So she's throwing in all her money to get some of it back, right? <laughs> and so what if in that way, that is her, you know, sort of in a, in a subversive sense, sticking her middle finger up to the system and saying, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to mock the system by giving everything I have and then just taking it right back. Um, and so I, I look at that and I look at her as a, as a middle third space in between person. And I say, yeah, you know, what if those of us who live that sort of middle ground can reclaim this space and be subversive in this space? And, you know, um, so yeah, so maybe that was, you know, to a long-winded way to answer your question. I, I, I don't really know particularly what it was about evangelicalism that 
drew me. It might have been, you know, the 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 spectacle that drew me. <laughs> um, but then in my coming back to myself, I think it's been a reclaiming of of who I, you know, who I am, um, the faith of my ancestors and mm. and building my own third space, my own spirituality from that. You know, uh you also just answered my earlier question about uh, secrets to consciousness, to raising mm-hmm. collective consciousness. And when, when you talked about, you know, when you use the, the phrase, ni de, de aquí, ni de allá, uh, mm-hmm. and, and finding your superpower there, I think that colonized populations everywhere are, mm-hmm. are ascending to that, you know, awareness yeah. that, uh, right. that, you know, we can embrace who we are. And, and for those of us who, who have uh, a connection to Jesus in some way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we feel like this is who Jesus was always meant to be, <laughs> you know? Right, <laughs> this yeah. Is, this is the Jesus who is not from here or from there. Yeah, is, totally. Is, is, gives us a connection, a superpower, if you will, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I think that that's exactly it. I mean, Jesus was a middle third space other, right? In that sense. I mean, if you think of it fully divine and fully human, I mean, if you think, you know, there's so many ways that Jesus is this hybrid identity, this like hybrid, you know, living within empire, right? Um, But also like speaking to and against empire and being subversive, you know, like in so, I mean, if you, you read scripture in with the lens, through the lens of, of imperialism, I mean, so much of it is, just like a middle finger to empire, right? Um, and so I think that, yeah, that was Jesus's superpower. You know, it was his in-betweenness. And I think for many of us, that is, you know, that can be ours if we are um, so committed to reclaiming that. So before we stop, Kat, and uh, this has been just uh, uh, uplifting, but before we stop, uh, you wrote Sacred Belonging, a 40-day devotional on the liberating heart of Scripture. Now, I don't even know if it's for me, but because I was so enchanted with the former book, I pre-ordered this book yesterday. Oh, thank you. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about this. Yeah, so um, this this book is very different than my first book. Um, This book is, it's a devotional, and I I really wanted to write a devotional because there are no devotionals out there for those of us who, you know, want to read scripture from a decolonized lens and want to think of, of the Bible in new and unique and fresh ways, but also don't necessarily, you know, want to just take it day by day and have, you know, read digestible chunks of, of text. And so I wanted to reclaim the devotional space. My publisher and I both did. And so, yeah, I wrote Sacred Belonging. It has five sections, um, the body wisdom, uh, spirit, nature, and the feminine. And I look at the Bible from those five perspectives, right? And so I ask questions about um, about nature and, and women's bodies and bodies in general and, um, what, you know, different forms of wisdom, like the stars and the moon and things that, you know, in evangelicalism, we've been told not to look to um, as sources of wisdom. But um, you know, and I kind of point to scripture and say, hey, look, all of this is there. You know, God told God's people to look to the moon um, 
for you know all sorts of wisdom oh, and look to the stars this book. <laughs> <laughs> right? and like look to the stars for all sorts of wisdom and and even animals and plants and creation and so yeah so i'm just um uh so i just wrote 40 essays it's a 40 day you know devotional but you can read it as you wish however you wish and um it, it was a fun project it was difficult but it was fun maybe this is the book for for those who observe Lent uh, to yeah. help them make their their way through? I I I've been uh, off and on reading. Um, there's a devotional guide called Psalms for Black Lives by Gabby Cujo Wilkes and Andrew Wilkes. Um, Amazing, a New Yorker, uh, a New York couple, um, and you know I found it so uplifting to hear through their you know through their pins. Uh, an mm-hmm. interpretation of the Psalms uh, that right. I couldn't find anywhere else. And it sounds like totally. you know, this book, Sacred Belonging, will will give me something that uh, that I can share with other folks. I, I can see I'm myself listening. at some point, uh, you know, sharing your book as a gift with other oh, people so to find their way, of, you know, through Lent or through whatever they're dealing right. with. Yeah. Well, thank you. I hope so. I hope you, um, yeah, can glean from it and share it. And um, like I said, it was a fun project to write because I wrote about, I mean, all sorts of things. Like I said, you know, the moon, the stars, you know, all sorts of interesting and different things. And again, looking to um, the wisdom in scripture that kind of points us to all of these things that we haven't been trained to look. Thank you. And thank you for giving us some of your time Our goal here is to connect people who have emerged from various kinds of dogmatism, uh, who have been indoctrinated in ways that have been uh, unhealthy for them and perhaps have even, to some extent, ruined their lives or their families. And so this is why we have Kat Artemis on here today and I look forward to hearing, you know, Kat, if you're ever in Santa Barbara, you know, Diane and I can have your family over or no, we can wonderful. all go to a restaurant. I know people like to come to Santa Barbara. So now oh, you yeah. know that you have great. a landing spot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That means so much. Yeah. I mean, I lived in L.A. for a few years and, you know, my husband and I love it out there. And, and we, we would go to Santa Barbara all the time because it's just such a great oh. like little sweet town so just nice so yeah um i will definitely let you know take you up on that offer all right (laughs) thank you thank you so much for being here today we are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it please contact us on twitter at god is not an asshole or text 805-703- 8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.